The drama continues with CM Punk and AEW and this thing that happened at All Out. Now Jericho supposedly said something to him. We have an update on what the hell happened from Punk Camp. And plus, we got some other things that were said from Tony Khan and Billy Corgan and other interesting news to talk about this whole week in wrestling. We're going to talk about it all next on the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. My name is Michael Valenti. Joining me is Ralph Valenti. Ralph, let's start it off with the drama. CM Punk, again, there's new details that keep coming out with this damn thing. Now we find out from Punk Camp that CM Punk's dog, Larry, got injured during this brawl. When the door was opened, it hit the dog and knocked some of his teeth out, apparently. And that enabled some law in Illinois where CM Punk could, I guess, attack the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega in self-defense. And that was part of the reason this brawl happened. And ironically, this report from Wrestling Inc. comes out the same day the report comes out that the elite are coming back to AEW. Plus, you got this other stuff with Chris Jericho, where Fightful Select is reporting that people have seen Chris Jericho call CM Punk a cancer after what happened at All Out, though Sean Rossap did go to Twitter and uh, did say that it was not Chris Jericho himself that confirmed the story, but just people close to this story. It just seems like the drama continues with this thing. I don't know what to make of it. I At this point, until I see the Elite back, until I see Punk officially confirmed to be released or back in AEW, I'm not believing one damn thing from this story. No, not not only am I not going to believe it because it seems like as soon as some sort of news breaks from this whole situation, it's almost quickly discredited or there's an attempt to discredit it. Now, I think the whole thing with the dog, I think as soon as that news broke, there was already conflicting information that that may not have happened. So, right. look, I think with this whole thing, I'm not going to say it's up there at the level of like a Montreal screw job. But this is something that is, I think, going to live in wrestling infamy and be discussed for years to come. Uh, If if Punk so chooses to keep this private and, you know, he's the type of guy that either we've seen it from both sides with him. Right. Because with the whole uh, exit from WWE, initially he went on, I believe, was Cole Cabana's podcast and he kind of spilled his guts and he said, look, here's what happened. Here's my side of the story. We've also seen him just kind of disconnect from wrestling altogether hence his hiatus officially from WWE until he came to AEW. So he could walk away from the show up on a podcast. Somebody could pay him a bunch of money, whether that's, I don't know. It could be somebody like even a Joe Rogan that's going to pay him to get his side of the story and spill the beans. And the longer we wait, the more uh, I think that the lore of the whole situation will just continue to spawn different conversations and narratives and all those types of things. Um, I don't think we're going to get an official anything from Tony Khan or AEW, um, even after the whole legal part is settled. There's even talks about, you know, what Punk is insisting on in this whole buyout thing. Like some people are reporting that, well, Punk will be granted his release, but they're caught up on a non-compete with WWE. That may or may not be true. I don't think we're going to know for quite some time. So I'm just taking it day by day, uh, much like you, when Punk or if Punk officially gets released and his contract is bought out, I'll believe it. When I see the elite return to TV, I- I'll believe that this whole thing is at least a little bit closer to being resolved. 
if TV is any indication, it seems like at least we're probably getting Punk and the Young Bucks back. I'm sorry, uh, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks back sooner rather than later. But no, no really um, nod or suggestion that Punk will be back at all yet. No, I, I totally agree. And what's interesting about this whole thing, it all starts with CM Punk's comments at that media scrum. And part of what was said by Punk was those, he, he called out those that want to be journalists, so-called yeah. journalists, you know? Is this just part of a giant-ass work from Tony Khan and CM Punk and the Elite where they're trying to test who they could trust in the dirt sheets that they'll give them any information and they'll see who's going to report it, who's going to second, you know, check their sources or whatever, or are they just going to run with, for example, Wrestling Inc. runs the story that Chris Jericho calls CM Punk a cancer. So, all right, are we going to yeah. trust Nick Hausman now? Then we have whoever's reporting the CM Punk story about the dog. Uh, do we trust them? Do we trust Dave Meltzer, who seems like all his stories seem to be pro-elite? And that's the, the kind of situation we have now. And at this point, if it's where you can't trust any of these journalists because they're not reporting the right information that they want out there, AEW might be, you know, closed mouth with a lot of stuff that they, re they tell journalists in the future. And this could all be just one giant test. I don't think that's the case, but I'm sure there's people out there with their tinfoil hats on that probably are thinking what I've just said there. If, if that is legitimate and if that's true, and something that Tony Khan and AEW are trying to do, I would probably consider that maybe the most pathetic of attempts ever. Look, I think Tony Khan right now already kind of treads the line far too much of just trying to please a niche online, you know, just attached to Twitter fan base. Um, I think that AEW has proven that when they want to, they can produce compelling storylines, good TV, and produce good matches that people care about. And they've shown, numbers have indicated that when they do that, people tune in and watch. Um, I think sometimes Tony Khan needs to disassociate himself with the online, like him going out, and this is just one small example that I know rubbed me the wrong way and others the wrong way, him going out of his way to say that he wanted to win Booker of the Year the third year in the row. Like, I get it. Maybe that's a, an award behind closed doors that you should be happy about, and it's impressive to, to some, but... Just focus on your company. Like, if don't try to root out, okay, well, I can trust this journalist. I can't trust this journalist. Pr produce good content. And I'm not even saying that this whole thing, if they tried to make it a work and make it a storyline, would be a bad thing. But if they were doing it just for the sake of trying to figure out if they could trust Sean Ross Sapp over Dave Meltzer, that'd be a sad uh, attempt by Tony Khan. And a waste be. of time, in my opinion. It would be. But, you know... It seems like Tony Khan always gets himself in the headlines within the wrestling community or the internet wrestling community. And he did so yet again this week when promoting AEW Dynamite on Busted Open Radio. It was brought up about, you know, promoting cold matches per se on AEW Dynamite. You know, those matches that just are booked with no story behind them. And he brought up Eric Bischoff. And basically he called Eric Bischoff a hypocrite. Here is the quote that he said from there. Frankly, the person that has been the most insidiary, contradictory, and hypocritical on this entire point is Eric Bischoff. The good WCW Nitro episodes from 1995 to 1998 
featured random lucha matches and other unexpected pairings. There was a certain exquisite randomness to the lineup of the card. There were a lot of stories happening in WCW, but probably less than half the matches on Nitro had a story going into them, and that was fine. It was the industry standard show. To see the person who probably put more cold matches on TV and did it successfully and did it well, say that is an abomination to do it is pretty, uh, pretty contradictory. I definitely don't want to see fans get brainwashed into thinking there's only one way to do this just because they've seen done one way for a long time. So this kind of goes back to what you were saying, Ralph, about people want stories. The stuff with CM Punk and the elite, people are going to talk about from years and years down the line, but there are going to be matches that people loved on an episode of AEW Dynamite. And then like two, three weeks later, forget about because there was another great match on AEW Dynamite, but they're just matches. There's no story yeah. behind them. Yeah. But yet people are talking about, for example, the storyline with MJF. That's, you know, they're talking about the acclaimed and the whole scissor me daddy thing. Not necessarily the matches that they're having. I get Tony Khan's point that there are more than one ways to book a wrestling show and a wrestling promotion. And you don't necessarily need these long, exaggerated stories with every single match. I think where his problem is, and you kind of brought this up too, is he caters sometimes too much to the internet wrestling community. And yep. they just book these matches like John Moxley versus Minoru Suzuki. Oh my God, this is a great thing. But he literally shows up Sunday on a pay-per-view and they have the match Wednesday without any explanation of who Minoru Suzuki is. They just right. assume the fan base already knows who he is right. and you alienate those that don't know and it kind of makes the match cold. I'm one of those, I'm a logical person. I need a reason why. Even if it's as simple as this winner is going to move up in the rankings. Simple as that. This, If they did the ranking system like a point system, this random match is worth two points or four points or whatever in the AEW ranking system and could lead them to a, a future world championship match. But instead, it's just dream match. Why? Why Sometimes is it a dream match? Detriment. Sometimes to their detriment. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak on behalf of WCW because admittedly, I, I, I was always more of a WWE guy growing up. I agree with Tony Khan. I don't think every single match needs a specific storyline or needs a lead in or needs a reason or certain significance behind it. But I do feel like title matches need to have a very uh, pointed focus. I think there needs to be a story there. I think it needs to be built over the course of at least a couple of weeks to make people care and to to uphold the prestige of the title that the people are competing for. If the it's only a exception title, with that, though, the only exception is that is if they do open challenges. That would be the only caveat, I have a that. caveat to this because one of the examples I'm going to give is like a title eliminator or like one no, of their, those things uh, are, are those things are so dumb. Let me, let me match, give this as an example. Match. Go ahead. So this is something that Tony Khan does frequently and WWE just did this last night. And if, if they don't use Emma upon her return and we might talk about her correctly after the, the match she had with Ronda Rousey, I will be critical of them very much the way I'm going to be critical of Tony Khan right now. The match that John Moxley had with Mance Warner, Mance Warner came in, they did a little two minute video package. I think you may have missed it. If you turned away for a couple of minutes and weren't paying attention, he wrestled John Moxley and he went away. If you're going to have guys challenge your top wrestler, your top, the top guys, follow up with it. That's my caveat. Okay, I don't, I don't mind a guy randomly showing up 
wrestling a match if you're going to make him be positioned to feel important following said match. Um, I think Tony Khan's biggest problem is, yeah, sometimes he will book these obscure, um, impromptu dream matches that have no story behind them. And if you're a hardcore wrestling fan, you will defend that till the day you die. Oh, he's trying to put on a great product. These are dream matches. Look at Forbidden Door, the whole pay-per-view as an example, the lead into that. A lot of guys got put on the back burner and they were even on the card, uh, FTR as an example. But, you know, many people were left in the dust in that. And and some of them never even really were. Wardlow's a guy that, in my opinion, has not been the same since his feud with MJF. And you could look at Forbidden Door as an example where he was put on the back burner um, to, to promote those dream matches or those one-offs for one pay-per-view just for guys to go back to their own companies and not really make returns to AEW. Does it make sense? Um, you know, matches like, I guess, you know, orange Cassidy competing against pack when pack really wasn't on TV and randomly competing for the title. Do those matches make sense? Their hardcore fan base will be into it. I don't think a random Lucha match on WCW nitro back in the day needs all that much attention and build because that's to me, Unless it's for like a title. It's like a filler match. It's there to keep people hyped. Some guys have a quarrel backstage. Okay, let's put them in the ring. Let them settle it there. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that type of stuff. But anything that's going to involve Moxley titles, uh, the acclaimed, anybody that's a champion, there needs to be a, a full thought out story there. And I just think sometimes Tony Khan has a tendency to just throw guys together and say, hey, it's a dream match. Doesn't need build. I don't agree with that. Right. No, I, I totally agree. And I definitely agree with the fact that there should be follow up if you're bringing someone in to wrestle a guy like John Moxley, Mance Water, or Juice Robinson that, you know, they just disappear after their match with Moxley with no yep. follow up. And I understand they're one off. all about that Juice Mo- match. All right. But part of that, the reason why there's no follow up is they're not under contract with AEW. So yeah. there can't be a follow up. But now that Juice Robinson has reportedly signed with AEW, Maybe that gets revisited now. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that question the booking of Tony Khan at times or question why certain people aren't on TV. And of course, one of those people that get brought up is Merrill. Where the hell has Merrill been? He's not injured for all we know, and he's just not been on TV for whatever reason. And CJ Perry, you may know her as Lana. She was on Busted Open Radio as well this week, and she was asked about Merrill and AEW. And had something very interesting to say about the manor. Here's what she said. I mean, he wants to be champion, so he's not going to be happy until he's champion. I'm just going to leave it at that. And then later continued on and said, I have a lot of opinions about this. Tony Khan has a vision. At the end of the day, if it's 100% real, I think there's this illusion at AEW that the talent booked the show. That's what's definitely the conversation. If you go there, Oh, you're going to basically become whatever you're made of. But at the end of the day, he, meaning Tony Khan, is booking the show. It's really no different than WWE. It's just a different director and a different person's point of view. It's like comparing NBC to HBO. But at the end of the day, you still have the exact who's going to make the final call. And that's what it is. Tony Khan has his favorites. He's going to push the favorites just like Vince would push his favorites. Just like Hunter is going to push his people. It's show business. It's nothing personal. It just is what it is. And Ralph, since 2019, up until now, 
there's been a couple people that have said this for years and years and we were told, oh no, it's different. It's different. But no, I, it's not different. I know I've said those specific words. <laughs> it's different. It's you wrestling euphoria. They're all in this together, man. No, wrestling's a selfish sport. It always has been. It always will be. It's just a different banner. At the beginning of AEW, you know, it was like, oh, things are going to be great. It's going to be different. They're going to let the wrestlers be themselves. There's more creative freedom. And I always said, no, it's not creative freedom. It's creative input. But Tony Khan's going to make the final call. And here is Lana saying basically what we have been saying for the last three plus years. Tony Khan makes the final decision. Does he give a little more leeway than a Vince McMahon would? Yes. But he's going to push guys, even if fans may not be full on board with it, he's going to find reasons to push a Danny Garcia, a Wheeler Yuta, an Orange Cassidy, or push a Hangman Page and not so much a Miro or a Malachi Black or a Buddy Matthews, all these guys. Oh, they're going, they should be, they're better off in AEW. And yet most of the guys that went from WWE to AEW are in the same spot that they were in, in WWE, or in fact, went further down the card since they left WWE to go to AEW. I know you have a roster kind of drawn up for this, and there was some late last minute changes because of some stuff that happened late yesterday after we last talked. Are we going to talk about Daniel Garcia and and Yuta at all after this point, or should I kind of work this whole little semi mini rant that I'm going to go into? I would say go in your rant now, because I think this is somewhat relevant because there's a lot of people that are behind the Yuta Garcia story. I Kind of like the story what going on with Garcia, but now it seems like it's cooled off the last couple of weeks. The Jericho story at the end of the day is to get both Garcia and you to push because Tony Khan really likes them. The fans seem to like them depending on who you ask. And I think the goal eventually for that whole storyline is to do a double turn with you and Garcia, but go ahead. I, I'm sure we can agree. Miro's probably getting paid significantly more then both Wheeler, Yuta, Daniel Garcia, what would you agree? He's probably getting paid more than both of them combined. I, you put I a significant investment. I don't, know, I don't know about combined, but I would think his paycheck is more than Garcia and Yuta's. But that, and could we could also, probably, that also could be why Barrow's not booked as much because maybe it's a per appearance contract, pay less per appearance for Garcia and Yuta than Miro. So you kind of balance out where you want to put Miro yeah. and pick your spots. Whereas Yuta and Garcia... You're not paying as much to put them on weekly. I'm sure we could both agree on this. Miro, just based on his time in WWE, uh, more marketable, more well-known than both those guys. Would you agree with that? I would. Probably a significant investment. He came in with a splash. He was great. I mean, some of his storylines when he was the Redeemer, I I, I thought he did a great job as the TNT champion. I have no issue with pushing young, motivated talent as long as I feel like, in my opinion, it's the right talent. The acclaim they're being pushed right now as the tag team champions because they they were successful in getting their shit over as mm-hmm. the, in the simplest terms. Uh, Wardlow was extremely over. He's a homegrown talent. They have homegrown talent that I feel like is being pushed. To Lana's point, uh, justifiably pushed. Let me put it that way. To Lana's point, I watch Dynamite on a weekly basis. To put it bluntly, I can't stand Wheeler Yuta. <laughs> uh, I, I turn the channel and I'm nauseated every time he picks up a microphone. 
Daniel Garcia, I like him in the ring. I don't get it. I don't think there's anything there other than a good technical wrestler in an industry, and I don't care who dislikes this. You need to have a personality. There needs to be something there. You need to have charisma to be a next-level talent. And if you're pushing Wheeler Yuta and Daniel Garcia over a guy like Miro, I'm sorry, I just don't get it. How are those guys' favorites over somebody like Amiro, how do they get TV time over tag teams like FTR, over guys like Wardlow? Those guys need to be staples. You're investing in a guy like Miro and he's on the back burner, unless there's something else going on that we don't know about. I'm taking this at face value based on knowing that he's potentially not injured and based on what Lana or CJ Parker, whatever her name is. CJ Perry. Perry. Based on what she's telling us here. I, I can't see a wrestling promoter who would honestly say, I need to allot X amount of TV time to Daniel Garcia and Wheeler Yuta and not to Miro. It doesn't make sense to me. I feel like Tony Khan is pushing those guys just so he can point to say, I, look what I did. Look what I did. And I don't think that's going to work out for him. I don't. I, I can't see. I don't envision a world where those two guys are more marketable, are going to do anything other, or do anything greater for AEW other than Miro or Wardlow or... Any long list of guys that are much more appealing, in my opinion. And I know there's going to be people that are going to be like, oh, they're so good in the ring and the work rate. It's Dude, it's overblown. Look at Twitter right now. Twitter blows up every single day about either backstage drama with CM Punk or Vince McMahon's sex scandal the back a couple months ago. If drama didn't sell, if storylines and, and whether legitimate or not didn't sell, then yeah, the best technical wrestlers in the world would be in the top of the industry, and they're frankly not. I, I will go one step further. If I were the promoter, if I were Tony Khan, and I know you wanted me to say this because I told you this, a guy that deserves more TV time. I'm not even a fan of him. Make sure you record this. Orange Cassidy should be on TV a hell of a lot more than Wheeler Yuta or uh, Daniel Garcia. I have no interest in Brian Danielson and Wheeler Yuta. I think that's an absolute waste. To get to do what? To, to, to prop up Wheeler Yuta? No, stop. Enough. You, you heard it here, folks. You know that someone is not in Ralph's best interest when he says Orange Cassidy needs more airtime than that specific wrestler. He does. At least he <laughs> at least there is I may not like the character, but I will side with him because one, I always said this, he's good in the ring and at least there's something there. There's something that the fan base is going to gravitate towards. I like Daniel Garcia a hell of a lot more than I like Yuta, but I again, agree. I just feel like they're being pushed just for the sake of say, for Tony to be like, look what I did. I think also part of this is just because I think they're going to be more staples to Ring of Honor when they get weekly television. So as long as they're continually on television, that's going to just help their quote unquote star power for Ring of Honor wherever, whenever they're on television. So, I mean, that's, I think that's the plan. I think a lot of these booking kind of, I don't want to say faults, but like back steps that we've seen with AEW. I could honestly go back as far as March of this year have been because Tony Khan is trying to push ring of honor to get them some weekly television, whether that is HBO max, as people have speculated, whether it is some other WB discovery network or some other channel on a different network uh, agreement. But, we have some updates with WWE here and New Japan Pro Wrestling. This whole controversy with the Never Open Weight Championship, Carl Anderson, who is the current holder of it, 
has been wrestling on WWE Raw the last couple weeks. He's been double booked on November 5th for uh, Battle Autumn, as well as Crown Jewel next Saturday. He already went on Twitter and said he's not showing up for the New Japan show. New Japan's response is, we went through the proper channels. We booked you for that show. If you don't come up and be on the show, you are forced to vacate that title. Carl Anderson has responded saying, still, you didn't go through whatever channels. I will defend that title on my time. So sorry, I'm going to be in Saudi Arabia, not Osaka, Japan. So Ralph, does this kind of deflate some of those high hopes that some fans might have had of a forbidden door opening with WWE and New Japan Pro Wrestling? Probably, but to be quite honest with you again, I don't... I don't even I don't know if it's in WWE's best interest. I, I don't think that's the fan base they're going for. I don't you know I think Triple H caters to it a lot more than Vince ever would. I think Triple H would absolutely do like maybe a big one off show, but again, like they're they're in the we know what WWE is. They're in the show business. They're in a, the branding business. They're not in like the let's attract the they're a different fan base than like the AW fan. You know, the AW fan is gonna like the Forbidden Door type stuff. And I think there is a certain subset of the WWE fan base that would be into that. I, I would be one of them. I would enjoy it, but I would question the long-term, you know, potential of it. Unless they're going to be there week in, week out and stuff like that. And I, I doubt it. So, right. Uh, unfortunate for New Japan, because if there was some type of weird loophole that Gallus and Anderson took advantage of, thanks for them. Uh, what do you say? Uh, it's smart on WWE to find that loophole unfortunate that new Japan would allow that loophole to exist. Well, I think part of the loophole was the fact that Anderson and Gallows were not working under a like contract, but they were just working per appearance, leaving the door open for triple H to come in and sign them and be part of this OC versus judgment day storyline. I think, um, I mean, I was not one that really thought this was going to be some big new Japan, WWE forbidden door thing or that the never open weight championship was going to appear on raw. I've seen this happen before freaking John Moxley couldn't get to a show to defend the U S title because of a tsunami. Yeah. You know, an act of God prevented John Moxley to get to a show and they still made him vacate the title. So, (laughs) I mean, come on. And I understand that everybody follows new Japan pro wrestling and you know, those that only really watch the two big American promotions, AEW and WWE, might have thought, ooh, this is the start of New Japan get working with WWE. Just any kind of following of New Japan, you would have known this wasn't going to happen. But this isn't the only company that's been in talks about possibly working with either or. Apparently, Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins, who owns NWA, was in talks with WWE that really didn't go anywhere, but... He did say to Metro UK that he wanted to talk to WWE about working as a developmental brand for WWE, but is also open to the same possibilities for AEW. Here's what he said about the whole thing to Metro UK. It didn't go anywhere and that was fine. Very, very good discussions. Very open and cool. They certainly liked that I was trying to do and they've always liked, uh, I've always been cool about what I was doing in NWA. So I remain optimistic going into the future that there might be some business there to do. There might be economic models where they say, take these 10 talents, let us have an oversight position. You develop these talents. It'd be good for the NWA. It'd be good for WWE. There's a lot of opportunities there. 
I would say the same thing as it pertains to AEW. AEW has a tremendous amount of talent under contract. Not everybody is able to be on their main shows. There might be opportunities where they want to send those people on a developmental level. So before the pandemic started, NWA kind of had their momentum and they had some really good talent on there. You had uh, LA Knight that was there, Eli Drake then, Ricky Starks was there, Eddie Kingston was there, Wade Barrett was on commentary. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of good talent that you're seeing now in both AEW and WWE that they were kind of a feeder system to both of them even before Billy Corgan came out and said, we want to be a developmental for either one of these. But I think this eventually could be a good move more for AEW because I know a lot of people say AEW needs some kind of developmental system. And yes, they kind of have one with the nightmare factory, I guess, of QT Marshall's training guys there. And they have dark elevation and they have dark that are working guys into matches and just get ring reps. But a actual like, promotion like nwa to feed into aew not a bad idea but also you got ring of honor too so i know that kind of yeah. puts things to to bed on that as well yeah and wwe i don't see them doing this because you know they already have their feeder systems if you want to call them that whether it's nxt uk nxt straight up uh whatever you know and the unfortunate thing for any of these promotion what, promotions, whether it's Impact, whether it's NWA or whether whatever, it could be GCW. When a guy gets over enough, when a guy proves himself enough, unfortunately, they end up going to one of the bigger companies, whether that's AEW. You could some say New Japan. You could if they work out of the States, uh, you could say WWE or NXT. Um, that's just how the business uh, that, that's just how the industry has worked over the past however many years yep um so i think inadvertently they are kind of like already a developmental system where it's like hey if you get over enough whatever we'll just sign you anyway so um the only, that's the only for the problem with it spot. the only problem with it for nwa's case is they don't they get, get any kickback sure exactly and I, I i i understand that um i think it would be much more likely that nwa would work with AEW because we kind of saw that to a certain i know what camille brickhouse certainly worked at least one match when they did their under- right. She did a, she did a match on AEW, but it was also to promote their, um, their all women's pay-per-view where yeah. Layla Hirsch challenged Camille for the NWA women's championship. So there's that as well. I haven't really, I I'll admit I've not followed NWA really since the pandemic. I think they lost a lot of steam when they lost a lot of those guys like Ricky Starks and Eddie Kingston and you know, Nick Aldis not being the world's heavyweight champion and losing it to Trevor Murdoch of all people. Yep. You know, I I'm like, nah, I, I can't get into NWA. And there's some people that still can watch it on a weekend basis. And if they, you know, watch on fight TV or wherever it's available, so be it. I just can't get into it right now. Maybe one day I could get back into it when I have more time to watch other promotions, but let's finish this off with a very interesting WWE story, Ralph. According to WrestleVotes, we are seeing the end to one of our yearly premium live events. After a 14-year run, it seems like Hell in a Cell is dead as a premium live event. But not dead as a match itself. because That's one of Triple H's favorite matches when he was in his career. Had great matches. 
in that cell, whether it was with The Undertaker or um, I think Batista. There was a Hell in a Cell match that they had. So he's had his fair share of those matches. So let's not get rid of it. But it definitely does not need to be a pay-per-view or a premium live event. No, I, I agree. Uh, and even I think they were having multiple Hell in a Cell matches. That's a match, again, like the more you do something the the less significant it becomes mm-hmm. if this is like you know that that specific match should be used for like a blood feud the the yes. last final stage of a a feud uh whether it's Cody and uh you know Seth Rollins that's a good example they could always revisit that but no i mean i'm not upset about this i think that we'll certainly see the match in the future but i think sparingly is key with this and i think that's the better decision anyway and it, it kind of goes back to our original story that we talked about, or one of our original stories early on in the podcast with Tony Khan in these cold matches where yep. WWE, because it's that time of the year, oh, we need to throw these guys in a cell. We need to throw these girls in a cell. And it's just a random Hell in a Cell match with no heat behind it. Yeah, it's a good match, but are you going to remember it because there's no damn story behind it? A lot of people remember Triple H versus The Undertaker in Hell in a Cell because of the story that was told within a four-year period between Shawn Michaels and Triple H and The Undertaker yep. at those WrestleManias. Right. Another one, obviously, I mean, the, the one I should have remembered instead of Batista was Triple H versus Cactus Jack or Mick Foley. I forget what he was going by on that No Way Out in Hartford in, in 2000. You know, the story of that and having that one last match leading to his retirement and then Mick Foley coming back for one last match at Mania in the fatal four way. That's the stuff that you remember, not these random, you know, yeah, Roman and Jay was good, but are you going to remember that down the line? No, because it was kind of the start of the story, not the end. And we're still telling that story two and a half years later. So I I think that's a great move. There's also talks about also having money in the bank, not be a premium live event, but put that back at WrestleMania. Personally, I think, that if that is true i think that's a bad move i think that one has to be maybe the fifth big pay-per-view and i think there's probably some reasons to take it out of there was because of oh we tried making a stadium show and it didn't fill out so back to the mania card it goes but some people like the idea what are you on that i think it can be its own pay-per-view i think that that match itself and go on at WrestleMania. I think that adds some intrigue. You know, if it's somebody wins the first match of night one, are they going to cash in at the end of night one or cash in at the end of the night two? I think, um, I think it can go either way. Uh, I do think that's one of their more significant matches that has a lot of meaning to it, as long as you're pushing the right guy. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to them keeping that pay-per-view, but I wouldn't be opposed to them getting rid of the pay-per-view and just keeping the match itself in the same way that they were going to keep Hell in a Cell. I only get rid of Money in the Bank and move it to WrestleMania on one condition. They bring King of the Ring back as a pay-per-view. I'd be, I'd be all for the King of the Ring, yeah. That would be the only reason why I do that. But Thanks for listening to this episode of the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. If you liked what you heard and you're listening on either iTunes or Spotify, make sure you give us a five-star review to help spread the word. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. Mm-hmm.